We're continuing today in series and looking at the life of Moses. Uh, it's uh, it's a life that you could have a very long series if you really tried to cover everything Scripture has about him. Uh, so we're just looking at a few different uh, significant things in his life. But uh, today, uh, looking in Exodus chapter 33, it's a section that's way in, uh, kind of the beginning part, in a way, of the time of their 40 years in the wilderness. And in Exodus 33, and starting at verse 12, and would you please stand as read from God's Word. This comes right after they, Moses had been up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments. He came down. They had been, the people had this golden calf that they were worshiping. And then Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Lord, we would pray boldly like Moses did that you might show us a glimpse of your glory. Show us through your word, show us your mercy, show us your goodness, show us your glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Years ago, I was on a mission trip with... uh, Group, uh, group of young people. We were it made it through the whole trip. We were just on it. We were at airport. We had flown. We were in Europe. We had flown there. We're changing planes, and then we're on a shuttle bus to get to, to the airport. And one of the kids is outside on the curb getting the last bag, and then the door is shut to the shuttle bus. And I look, and she's out on the other side, and and I yell out to the driver to open the door and then I'm trying to think of how you say it in French and I'm, and I'm wondering what to do and I'm letting them know. And afterwards, uh, the, some of the kids in the youth group were kind of surprised. They said, you yelled. I guess that might have been the first time they heard me yell. And I said, well, Rose was the other side of the door. We couldn't go without her. <laughs> I said, I wasn't, wanted that bus driver to know this bus can't go anywhere until we get everybody in the group on the bus. Moses was coming in a similar way. He was coming to God and he said, God, I'm not going any farther on this journey without you. (laughs) If I'm not with you, 
I'm not going anywhere. Like, we weren't going anywhere if we didn't have the rest of the group. So Moses wasn't going anywhere without God. The journey was too hard. It was too complicated. And so he, he comes to the Lord and he pleads, God, don't send us anywhere without you. He said this was after he had been up on the mountain and then he came down. They had made this golden calf. They were worshiping this golden calf. And God was, first, he was disgusted with the people for what they were doing. He told Moses, I'm done with them. I'm not going forward. And Moses says, God, you got to. You need to go with us. I can't go without you. Don't go anywhere without the Lord. Moses is overwhelmed and he knows he doesn't have a chance leading these people. He doesn't have a chance doing anything that's worthwhile. And he doesn't even want to try to do anything without God. Because serving God and his people can be hard. Moses had this amazing experience up on the mountain. He got to spend time with God. God writes the Ten Commandments on these, these blocks of stone. And then he comes down from the mountain and it's chaos. He hadn't been gone that long. <laughs> but he comes down and the people are in rebellion. The people are worshiping this golden calf. It's, it's just out of control, as it says in Scripture. And then his, his own brother Aaron is the one who's been leading the mess. And his brother Aaron comes with what I think ranks as one of the worst excuses ever uttered by anybody. He comes in Exodus 32 and Moses and Aaron says, you know how prone these people are to evil. They gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And they, it says they were out of control. Well, earlier verses talks about how Aaron shaped the gold. And, and that idea, you're just thinking, okay, do you really think Moses is going to buy it? I threw the gold in the fire and the calf came out. I don't know what happened, Moses. Moses didn't buy it, and most importantly, God didn't buy it. Moses, he's there, and, and then after this happens, then people are being killed, first by the sword of judgment, and then God sends a plague. And Moses had to be thinking back to his time of being with the sheep. Hey, that probably sounded kind of nice right then. He's maybe starting to think, I think I'd rather be back with those sheep in the wilderness and dealing with these people. <laughs> it's hard dealing with people. <laughs> it, it can be frustrating. It can be confusing. We see that throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he speaks to the Galatians and he has this phrase as he talks to them. He says, I am perplexed about you. He's perplexed, wondering how could you guys be le leaving the truth of salvation by grace? We get perplexed by people. As you think about it in your life, what has brought maybe the most challenges? What has been the most perplexing, the most aggravating, the most heartbreaking? It's people. People are at the root of what's causing the troubles, but also the greatest joys that we have in life connected to people. This is a seminar years ago, a pastor, a been around for many years. He was being asked some questions, and then they, they asked him, they said, what is kind of causing you the most troubles in your ministry? He said, the people. <laughs> he said, the buildings haven't really given me much trouble. I can, we can get somebody to fix those things, and, and technology can confuse at times, but 
I can get a tech guy to help fix that, but he says the people. He says it always ends up being about the people who cause the problems, but they also bring the joy. And while it can be hard dealing with people, it's what God has called us to do, and it's what God is willing to do, but, but we shouldn't try to serve people without God. There's no point trying to serve without God. Moses is the greatest leader, really, other than Jesus, probably the greatest leader in, in history. But even Moses, he knows he can't do this without God. He knows how big this challenge is. And he knows his limitations. And he knows that this is just too much to try to do it on its own. Our challenges, they're maybe not at the level Moses was facing. But our challenges are still too big for us. Our challenges are still too much for us to try to do it on our own. You can't serve your family in the best way, just on your own. You can't serve your friends and serve people around you just on your own. You can maybe do some good things and make a little bit of a difference, but you're not going to make an eternal difference if you're just trying to do it in your own wisdom and your own abilities and your own experience and your own strength. Jesus in John 15 talked about how he's the vine, we're the branches. He says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we, we can do some stuff that the world might think is okay. But it's not of eternal significance. We're just trying to do it apart from him. In Psalm 16, he says, I, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from God, we don't really have anything that's of lasting value to offer to the world. No, we can do some stuff that the world might think is okay, but no, we don't really have the wisdom or the strength or the ability that is needed apart from God. The way we can think of it like a, like a drill and a battery. You get a drill like that if you don't have the battery hooked up in it. You don't really have much. A drill doesn't make a very good screwdriver if you don't have any power with it. If you're just trying to use that to put a hole in something or you're just trying to use that to try to do a screw or something, better just to get a screwdriver than use a drill without the power. In a way, that's us without God. There isn't the power. And it may have an appearance, and it may look okay, but there isn't the real power, the meaningful power, the necessary power without the Lord. Don't go forward without the Lord, but instead go on a search to know the Lord. Moses, he's wanting to know God. Moses here, we don't see him asking God just to give him some leadership training. And he's not really asking God to just give him a little more skill and a little more ability. But what he's really seeking from God is to know him. Ask God to teach you his ways. That's what Moses prays. He says, teach me your ways so I may know you. He wants to know God and he knows the steps to that is to learn God's ways. 
Learning God's ways is learning his way of dealing with people. Learning his way of approaching life, of approaching challenges. Learning his ways means learning what God loves, what God hates, what God values. Learning the way God does life. Psalm 25, he prays a similar prayer. He says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. God wants to teach us his ways. And so we, we pray for that. We, we see all around us the ways of the world. We see the way the world does things, the way the world approaches challenges, the way the world deals with people. We see that, but what we need to pray is, God, show me your ways. I've seen enough of the world's way of doing things. I want to know how God does things. In Philippians chapter four, chapter three, we see Paul's prayer and what he wanted to know. He, he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he continues on. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know the way of the cross. He wanted to know that because he knew that's a way of life. Is that your desire today? Do you really want to know Jesus? May God give us that kind of heart that, that really wants to know him. Psalm 86, verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. When God teaches us his way, it doesn't just change the way we do things, it changes our heart. Teachers, or what they called rabbis of Jesus' day, they taught in a different way than often we think of teaching. In our day, we think of teaching as some guy standing up at a board, giving a lecture, writing some things up on a board, giving a handout, and then he goes off to his home and students go to their home. But for a, the Jewish rabbi of Jesus' day, teaching wasn't so much a lecture, but it was going through life with the rabbi. We see that reflected in the first disciples that Jesus called. They came to Jesus, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. The conversation can seem like a little bit of an odd conversation, but what they were really asking was, can we learn your ways? Can we learn your ways by seeing where you stay and, and just staying with you and watching you do life? And then Jesus says, yes, you can do that. He comes to us as well. And he doesn't just give some lectures and say, okay, I'll give you some lectures, I'll give you a handout, and you go off and do it. Instead, even gracious, even better, he says, I'll do life with you. I'll be in relationship with you so you go through life, you learn my ways by being with me. God's presence makes all the difference. Moses says, if you're not with us, what's going to distinguish us? If, if your presence isn't with us, he's basically saying, we're doomed. We don't have a chance if you're not with us. If God wasn't with them, Moses knew, then we're just a bunch of slaves wandering around in the desert. But if God was with them, it changed everything. In 1 Kings chapter 8, 
Solomon has his prayer as the ark is brought into the temple and then he prays, he says, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. He knew more than the buildings and all the treasures, what they needed most was to have God with them. And that's for us as well. We've mentioned before about how it learned over time working with youth that youth, the big question about an event wasn't so much what are we going to do, but it was who's going to be there. <laughs> and youth various times, they, even if we'd go out of outing, they, they didn't even know for sure where we were going to go. They weren't asking, well, where are we going? They said, who's going? Are my friends going? <laughs> if my friend's going, then I'm in. I don't care where we're going. I don't care what we're doing. As long as my friend's going, then I'm in. Well, for us, too, it's about who are you going with? Who are you with in life? Because if you're with God, if God's with you, if you're going through life with him, then it doesn't matter so much where or what's going to happen. No, it'll be fine as long as you're going with God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He's saying, it doesn't matter who's against us. It doesn't matter how big the challenge is. What matters is, is God for you? Are you with him? And Moses knew he could face these challenges. He could lead these people as long as God was with him. And as long as God is with us, we can make it through whatever's up ahead. So seek to find favor with the Lord. Moses prayed for, that the Lord would be pleased with him, that he'd continue to find favor with God. And the Lord promised, he said, I am pleased with you. We see as we look at Moses' life, there were times people praised him, thought he was the greatest thing. And there were other times when people just thought he was a bum and wanted to get rid of him. That's how it is with people. They're up and down. Their opinions of us can change like the wind but it's different with God. And what matters is not, well, what are the people thinking of you? Are the people liking what you're doing? What matters is, what does God think? In Ephesians 5, verse 10, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases him. Trying to find out what pleases the crowd, that's kind of a fruitless effort. That's going to change, change quickly. What matters is find out what pleases the Lord. In Psalm 90, Moses was inspired to write this one psalm. And at the end of the psalm, he says, May the favor of, our, of the Lord our God rest upon us. He says that what, that's what matters. That the favor of the Lord rests upon us, that we're pleasing to him. Whether we have the favor of the crowd or not, sometimes we have it. It's nice if you have it, but sometimes you just don't have it. What matters is the favor of God. Kids will be in music competitions at times. Kathy's had students in music competitions. And, and sometimes the competitions are just the judges. Sometimes there might be a judge and then there might be people out there. It can be tempting for a student to be thinking, okay, what's going to get the crowd to applaud? But if they want to win the competition, they need to be thinking, what's the judge looking for? Not just what's going to make the crowd impressed. At times in our lives, we're, can, we're tempted to think, well, what's the crowd going to applaud? What is the crowd going to like? 
What's going to put me in favor with the crowd? Let's realize who's the judge, whose opinion matters. It's not the crowd, it's the Lord. Find out what pleases him. We can't go forward without God. We go on a search to know God, and then we want to go to where God's goodness and glory are seen. Moses, he wants to know God and And then we see in these verses that God is willing to make himself known. And we also see that God is pleased. By faith, God is pleased with us. He tells Moses, I am pleased with you. He wasn't pleased with him because Moses was such a skilled leader. He wasn't pleased with him because of Moses' achievements. But he's pleased with Moses because Moses had faith in God. When God told Moses to have the people put the blood around the doorposts and then death would pass over, Moses believed. And he trusted that God was going to do what he said. When they came up to the Red Sea and God said to raise a staff and he was going to part the water and then he said to go out and walk through that, Moses believed God and he trusted him and he did what God said to do. When he went up on the mountain and God said, these are the commandments, Moses believed him. He trusted him. And that's why God was pleased. And it's same with us. God is pleased when we trust him. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of Moses. And it says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses didn't care about what the king was thinking. He cared about what God had said. And he trusted the promises of God. Also in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. If Moses had just had a bunch of achievements, it wouldn't have been pleasing to God if he had them, but he didn't have faith. And that verse, the other side of it's true as well, that with faith we can please God. And today you can be pleasing to God by faith in him, by trusting in him, trusting in his word. God will be pleased with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time that God will be favorable toward you when your faith is in Christ. Think of folks I've known who had parents that they never felt like they could please them. Maybe you've had one like that. That You never felt like you were good enough, never felt like you were doing the right thing. You never felt like you really pleased them. And that's hard. But today, be assured that your Heavenly Father isn't like that. Your Heavenly Father has made it clear you will be pleasing to Him if you have faith in Christ. God chooses to have compassion. God chooses to have mercy. He says you will have mercy on whom he has mercy. He chooses, he decides, he's the Lord. He's not forced to have mercy, but he chooses to have mercy. After these people were worshiping this golden calf, he's making clear that he had to just wipe these people out. But he shows compassion. He shows grace. 
Moses comes and he, he prays that he could see God's glory. He wants to know him. And God responds in the next chapter, Exodus 34. And it says, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God is a God of justice. He admits that there's, there's discipline, but he's also a God of compassion, a God who doesn't treat us as we deserve. He has chosen compassion. He has chosen such compassion that he went to the cross. He has chosen such compassion that he forgives us our sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. After their terrible sin of worshiping this golden calf, God could have said, that's, that's it. But he gives them another chance. He forgives. And with us, too, he could say, I'm done with you. But instead, he shows amazing grace. He forgives. Once I was at a airport waiting for a bag to come in and there was this bag that had broken somebody's suitcase must have come apart and then for some unknown reason the baggage handlers just dumped the contents of the bag onto the carousel and of course it was the first one they put on the carousel it is just dirt is dirty laundry it was just a disgusting sight and it's on there and it's going by. And we're looking at it and thinking, there's nobody claiming that. The person that that belonged to might be standing right here, but there's no way they're claiming. They're waiting until everybody in the building's gone until they claim that stuff. Nobody wanted to claim it. Said, yeah, that dirty laundry, yeah, that's mine. Well, in a way, the, the people we see here in Exodus, they're dirty laundries out there. We see the filth of their sin. Nobody else would have claimed and said, yeah, they're, they're mine. But God shows compassion and he says, I'll still take them. I'll still forgive. And for us as well, God knows our dirty laundry. God has seen the filth of our sin. He's well aware of it. He knows it better than you do. But still, God says, I still want you. I still want you as my child. I'm still willing to claim you as my own. I'm still willing to have mercy and compassion. God chooses us, and he shows us his goodness and glory. Moses comes with his bold prayer, show me your glory. And then God says he will cause his goodness to pass in front of him. And then in the next chapter, it tells about Moses being hid in a cleft because he couldn't see the fullness of God's glory but he sees a, a bit of his back and, and he sees and then God proclaims he's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Moses gets this glimpse. Moses, he, he wanted to know how good God is, how glorious God is. He didn't just, as we said, he didn't just need some leadership lessons. And that's for us as well. We don't just need some lessons on how to do better, or how to work harder. No, what we need are the lessons Moses needed. We need, it, we need lessons on how glorious and how good God is. 
That's what we need to know. Moses knew if, if he knew better how good and glorious God is, that was going to help him in leading the people and getting through. And that's what's going to help us in the challenges we face to get a better vision of the glory and the goodness of God. That's what helps us deal with life and get through the challenges. And God is willing to, to make those things known to us. Moses gets a glimpse of the glory. In a way, it's pointing ahead to Jesus. Because in Jesus, what Moses just got a glimpse of, we get to see in full view. And really here in Exodus, it's, in a way, it's looking ahead to John. The Gospel of John, where, where he says, The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and then continues to say, full of grace and truth. We've seen his glory. Moses got to see a little bit. In Jesus, we get to see the fullness. We get to see the glory of, of God taking on human flesh and becoming a man and dwelling among us. In Jesus, we see the glory of the Son of God and the Son of Man. In Jesus, we see the glory of the Lord being the Lord and also our Savior. We see the glory of God in Christ. Jesus, when he was in front of the tomb, right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said to them, he said to the sisters, he said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? It comes to us in a similar way. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. It might not be in the dramatic raising the dead from, the, from life, somebody from the dead, but we see the glory of God as we go to his word. And if we believe, as we open that word, we see the glory of God. As we go through life, if we believe, we get to see sometimes in little ways here or there, but if we believe, we get to see the glory of God. Kathy and I, last week, we got the chance to be down uh, Crater Lake in southern Oregon. Beautiful spot, an amazing color blue of that water and, and all of around there. We come into the, the parking lot and, and as everybody else, you get there and what you're wondering is where do I get the best view of the beauty? We didn't go and say, well, there's a dumpster over there. Let's go look at, let's go and look at what things are like behind the dumpster. No, we said, let's go and see the beauty of this part of creation. In a way, similar in life, we're often looking at behind the dumpster. We're looking at the mess of the world. We see all the craziness, all the sinfulness, all the foolishness of the world. God invites us. He says, take some time where you see the beauty. Take some time where you see the glory. Take some time where you see how good God is. Take some time to look and see the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do see the mess around us so much. We see the foolishness, the sinfulness around us so much. We are like Moses. We are people who need to see the glory. We need to see your beauty. That's what's going to sustain us when we see how good and wonderful and beautiful you are. Lord, help us to have eyes that see 
you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.